Welcome to the Career Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's program is Mr. Fred Studley, our founder and CEO. Hello and welcome to Career Pod. I'm Fred Studley, and we're pleased to have Tony Pacilla with us today. He's a senior managing director at Corinthian Capital Group. Uh, welcome, Tony. Hey, welcome. Okay. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, uh, we're going to talk to Tony about his early uh, education, life, and and some of the early stage jobs he's had, and then he went through some what I'd call traditional jobs and led him to private equity uh, firms. A lot of people are looking to get into private equity firms, and he's got some uh, suggestions in that regard. Uh, and then lastly, we'll talk about family businesses. Uh, that's been in and out of his career and is a special interest, and he has some expertise in that area. So why don't we go back to the beginning. Uh, how about your earlier life and education, Tony? So born in uh, born in Connecticut. Didn't know if you wanted to go back that far. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Moved uh, basically up to the Massachusetts area to start school, and uh, from from there basically went uh, to high school up in Andover, Mass, yeah. and then I had the good fortune to go to Harvard College after that. Okay, and uh, uh, at Harvard, uh, you had a full kind of activity, both educationally and extracurricular activities? Yep. Uh, what what yes. kind of things you're involved in? Actually, early uh, early, early involvement. Some of the things that uh, really helped me in later career was we had a student-run business, which was a uh, actually a little conglomerate of student-run businesses to give people the chance to run businesses and get some experience. Um, a particular one I actually started working for and then ended up running was the what we call the custodial and uh, moving business. Hmm. So we uh, placed people out in uh, homes to clean homes. Good, good. And then uh, armed with a, a degree, and, and uh, hopefully all the tuition was paid for. Uh, but uh, where did you go after that? So I, actually that, that experience gave me the, uh, the desire to try to uh, get a job that had some people, early people responsibility. And uh, one of those uh, one of those roles that uh, he interviewed for and really thought would be fun was a line supervisor, which was then uh, New England Telephone, which at that point was uh, part of the AT and T system. Okay. So, and, and you had an introduction to supervision, uh, a young person supervising more senior people. Uh, how'd that go? So it was a little bit of it was a rocky start, uh, but it was it was fun. The first. Uh, the first day on the job, I, I really got got a good feel for for what that was. One of the supervisors, who I've since been uh, friendly with, said to me, "Well, his first question was, he said, you went to Harvard, right?" I said, "Yes." So, uh, with that as the introduction, excuse the language, that was a quote. Right. Yeah. Uh, he he said, "Listen, I have one year of experience, twenty times, yeah. uh, and I would be happy to give that to you." So we established a good early relationship, both with he and uh, a couple of the other supervisors, mm. and helped me navigate the uh, the early testing of the the uh, the line crews that uh, I had. Well, that's good. Uh, we call that mentoring now, but then it was someone took you under his wing, and, and that's very helpful. So that's super. Uh, and your career there, how did it progress? Uh, so New England Telephone, I actually, uh, it was, it's a pretty structured environment at that point in 19, uh, the bell system actually 
broke up in 1984. I went there, I think 83 or 84. I went there in 79. So it was a lot of uh, a lot of regulatory things going on, but it was fairly structured and advancement to upper levels was really it was actually a system pattern after the military. So a lot of the management training where you would go off for three-day assessments, two-day assessments. Um, I thought that was really fascinating, but it also uh, helped me helped me affirm that I wanted to be in business. And uh, I left after a couple of years to go back to a full-time business school. Okay. All right. And uh, how long did you uh, go through business school? So business school, was uh, I went uh, through in 18 months. And uh, because I, I had thought that what I wanted to do was really get the formal business training, but I was interested uh, at that point still in, in the whole people management piece, but also I thought the telecom, the telecommunications industry was interesting. And so I went after business school to what was then the second largest uh, phone company called GTE out of Stanford, Connecticut. Okay. And they had a, a, a rotational program where you spent three six-month assignments with various businesses, and then you had to interview within the company for a full-time position. Okay. And what was some of your first uh, assignments? Uh, uh, first first assignments, one was a strategic planning role, sitting in as a kind of a planning analyst in a, at a group headquarters. The other one was a, uh, a market uh, analyst at a large data products company because uh, they were in the data business. And then the final role or the third role was actually field sales with uh, uh, rudimentary, what's now rudimentary equipment, you know, mm-hmm. faxes, modems, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you were the carrying only, you carrying the bag at that time? I, I was. Uh, the only uh, redeeming factor about that is it was, it was six months in Hawaii because oh, GT yeah. owned the Hawaiian telephone company oh, at the someone time. Someone had to do it, right? I mean, <laughs> someone had okay. to do it. Good. Uh, in, I believe I looked at a resume that you, then you, there was a general management role that, uh, uh shortly a- after my uh, placement, I went actually, instead of, instead of capitalizing on the telecommunications background on the final, uh, set after the final assignment, I, I had in one of my early, uh, one of my six month projects in the planning role. I actually did a project for who was then the vice president of marketing and sales for GTE uh, and GTE, the, the group I was with. He then went on to become president of the Sylvania organization or the products group. So I, I interviewed, one of my interviews was with him on the product side of the business. So that was, and I ended up taking that role. So I effectively left the telecom side and went right. over to products. Okay. And early on, uh, about two years after that, I ended up, getting my first full-time general management role. Okay. And in that role, uh, you got tested in different ways. What kind of challenges uh, exist for the general manager? Uh, to me, the, the, the two, two was really just a chance to try to uh, understand, flex, test the limits of you know what authority is relative to getting things done. It's always... Uh, you know, if you've got all the functional areas, sales, marketing, finance, um, manufacturing, you know, you try to bring all those uh, together. Um, at points, it's both uh, it's both collaborative and uh, and sometimes not. So you just right. have to try to figure out how to get get things done with other people. Um, so it was one of the 
first role certainly post business school where it was I wasn't just an independent contributor so it was really going into the pool pretty quickly right did you inherit a good team or did you have to make some changes uh, no or? actually it was a it was a it was a good team so it was a it was a probably a, a good first general management uh, role okay and you had a long career at uh, GTE or, or their other named entities yep. uh, how many years was it in total? Uh, 17 in total. Uh, I actually left for a short period of time and came back. So it was, it was a, uh, I think uh, it was about uh, 12, 12 years. And then I, I left for a couple of years. Actually, I went to when GTE was sold to Siemens. Yeah. I thought it was a good time to exit because I didn't want to, I wouldn't want to be working for the the you the the international subsidiary of right. a foreign company that um, so I, I thought I would go and I ended up working actually as the first president of a small family-run business so that's uh, has some roots later on that we can talk, talk about, about. Right. and then uh, came back to the company to run the Canadian subsidiary so mm-hmm. uh, that was a good good move in fact uh, you know that my uh, the fellow that had run the group my first uh, first person I interviewed after the rotational program, I had been gone for about uh, two years, and uh, was he said uh, called up and said we've got this opportunity in Canada. He says it is going to be an independent business. You know, you'll be your own country subsidiary. Are you interested in uh, coming back to the company? I said, well, absolutely. I said, but I'm about to close on a new house tomorrow in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and his response was so. Yeah. <laughs> so Sen- that, sensitive. That, kind of thing, right? <laughs> so that that actually worked out. Uh, that worked out uh, very well. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, it's rare now when you're exposed to rotational programs such as they had a GT large complex organizations uh, that had a lot of levels and had a lot of succession issues. Uh, looking back at that, uh, were there mentors that helped you along the way? Uh, any particular type of mentor? And what was the person good to, in in helping you at? And uh, uh, what kind of area was it in? So there were uh, probably uh, through the course of the 17 years, there are easily uh, two two people that stand out. That early on, one the first the person that gave me the opportunity to have a general management role. You know, early in my career, moving to uh, and um, you know, in Pennsylvania, uh, and he was a mentor uh, from two levels, both on a style side and uh, and on a on a technical side. So he took an early um, knew I was knew it was the first general management role. And took a little extra uh, attention, although yep. you know he he actually was a a former um, U.S. Winter Ranger. So uh, and in, in the army, so he he uh, came with it from a little bit of a military sure. bent, but it actually uh, it worked out well. Yeah, good. The flip side of being mentored is being a mentor. Uh, were you have you had mentoring opportunities early on where you'd uh, help people that either directly report to you or on a allied organization? Uh, uh, from uh, now, now, yeah, from you know, early, uh, you know, when you get mid to end of uh, your career, 
it's at some point it hits you that you have to make that transition yourself from being helped to help. Right. And uh, no one tells you it's time. Um, but uh, yes, along the way, mostly in uh, actually uh, not generally not in direct lines of, uh, you know, uh, authority, is, yep. uh, but I've had several uh, several people along the way, you know, uh, both with uh, coming for career advice and uh, and then follow up to see how they're doing relative to that. And along the way, you've made a number of changes in uh, jobs. Uh, a lot of people listening have that as an issue about stay go decisions. Uh, is a general rule? Uh, what kind of criteria do you do you use? So I think the the whole you know looking at career paths. Generally, I mean, my advice would be if you're looking to fill a an experience gap uh, to expose to another uh, industry, I would say career moves that are based on uh, learning and filling in skill gaps are going to work out a lot better if you're motivated to fill that gap than just a clear one rung up the ladder in a similar kind of business. So if it's only money, um, I don't find those turn out as well. So can you uh, elaborate a little bit um, uh, that you you think going sideways in filling an experience that you're missing makes more sense than just or, being linear or, or, or no you can go you can go up and fill an experience gap, gap but uh, but if so if you're well first first recruiters don't really help you make more of your career than you would right you know, they're looking to fill fill slots and a lot of those are doing more of the same with maybe a little more responsibility and more money yeah however um if you see for example that uh you're in a in a business that is uh, you want you want to be exposed to a different industry or a different market. Those would be to me worthwhile stay go decisions if you feel like you know in the long term that would uh, okay. that would help you. So I'd say if it's just moving because you're you're going to get a raise, I'd try to get that raise internally. If you're going to be yeah. moving to try to you know fix a, an issue or or uh, close a skill gap, those are much more. You know, exciting yep. and makes yep. sense. And, and sometimes it's helpful to think two or three jobs ahead, visualize what what's my resume going to look like if I right. stay and go for some short-term money and maybe make a safe decision versus if I left and went to X, then Y would be possible, and my resume looks a lot different. So it's a good way of uh, doing that in our experience. Uh Let's go ahead to what I'd call more traditional jobs when you're at Clean Harbors or Siemens. Uh, what, how'd those jobs come about, and, and what was the yep. return and the satisfier in those jobs? Well, this is the uh, the Clean Harbors came about again. I had gone back uh, to Siemens, and at the end of the 17 years, my last role was running a, a large uh, technology services business inside Siemens to help the rest of Siemens and some outside become more e-business enabled. So there's actually a case where that was a role where, uh, you know, on the surface I was maybe qualified from a general management perspective, but from a technology perspective, that was a lot of new learning. So I thought right. that was, that was a perfect 
That was a perfect reason to uproot my family and move to Atlanta. <laughs> well, so uh, he says. Right. Okay. So, but at the end of the day, that that job after a little over two years was eliminated because it was felt that you know the everything was integrated. It was a shorter, much shorter time frame than they thought. So, quite frankly, I was in Atlanta looking to come back to uh, New England. So I, I looked uh, long and hard to say where are some other general management opportunities or potential general management opportunities. And Clean Harbors was, uh, at that point, uh, about uh, four to $500 million in revenue. It's about four, three to $4 billion uh, today. Right. Uh, but there was an opportunity to come in as a, an executive vice president with some functional responsibility. Okay, all right. And then in terms of uh, just we ask these questions of everyone, uh, technologies have changed since you were in, you know, uh, grad school at Harvard. Uh, how has technology changed the way you do work, uh, even up to current times? Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's basically uh, went from early career to having a dead, well, my first general management role, I had a full-time uh, executive assistant. So at 28, I have a full-time person that's handling my calendar. It's handling, you know, scheduling my appointments. It's making you know, flight, plan, uh, you know, flight uh, plans, travel plans. And today, through a series of apps to start, that's all me. So you know, you you become an independent, uh, much more of an independent operating person. Uh, just technology to help you do the job. And now, and then technology that I see on the job is actually fascinating. I started my, and just to give you one example, so I started uh, at GTE, what, Sylvania Division, which is a lighting division. Um, it was your standard incandescent, fluorescent, and uh, what they called high-intensity bulbs for stadiums and, and the like. Today, from the private equity side, we've made an investment in our control owner of a lighting company. Uh, but it's all LED lights, and and they do have uh, they have an aligned company that works with in stadiums, and we had a discussion just recently with a potential partner that said stadium lighting in the future may be some may look something like this: is you have a game or you have an event, and at the time the events to start or an hour before, an army of drones will show up over the stadium light the stadium as it is intended for that venue and then disperse when it's over. Wow, that's, that's so <laughs> scary when you think of it. Okay. Uh, you know, the- so, but it's, it's, it would be drone-specific directed lighting, right. you know, pre-programmed yep. that shows up, does the job, and then you know, goes back to base. Okay. Well, that, they just, uh, well, you will probably have your own private drone at this rate. But you that, never that tell. Is, right, that is, uh, you know, that's fascinating to think yeah. how far light, it just the, something as mundane as yeah. light bulbs right. has come. And I think, uh, you know, the, the junior professional, even something as simple as typing speed and, and, you know, using, now many people are using their thumbs and they're, yeah. they're Twittering and they're doing everything. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, I think uh, younger people really have to commit to learn the available technology because it, it, it's well, going to be core. I went uh, was with one of our uh, you know new, newer employees and associate. Uh, we were on a trip, and I said, wait a minute, I'd like to go get the paper. And he started to laugh at me. Yeah. 
So I said, what are you laughing at? He said, I've never bought a paper in my life. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah that's true. So it's scary. Looking back at your career, Tony, uh, what, what would you have done differently if you're talking to the younger Tony Pacillo? Uh, any particular juncture that you went left and probably in retrospect should have gone right? Uh, you know, I, I, you, you don't know, you know, I, at this point, you, you, my experience is a sum total of everything I, I did. So I don't know that, uh, changing something would have made, uh, a lot of difference. I, I did probably, I may have, you know, even though I was there for a long period of time, um, I was the one that made the assessment that, you know, staying with a foreign subsidiary may have been a bad thing. And I, and I decided that was the time to leave. Um, I actually probably could have done a little more research to figure out whether that was going to be the case or not. But right. I, I knew everything at that point in time. Of course, so of so course. that seemed like the good decision. So I, I would have maybe uh, done a little more research in, in that end. But I, I, I upped mm. and, upped and uh, you know, left. And again, it's worked out okay, but it could have been a different series of moves. Yeah, and, and I guess the takeaway there is do more research before you make what might be a somewhat impulsive move right. or a decision made on too little data. Yeah, so ju just the other day, actually, I gave someone advice who wants to leave to get, a, get an, another set of experience, and it was a large company that he was with. And I said, have you actually, you know, have you totally thought through, you have a lot of people that know you in, the, in your current company. Are you sure that that experience isn't there under that same umbrella? Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, again, if the the larger potentially the larger the company, you might be able to find that experience. Sure. But if you can't, well, that makes it you the resolve to leave is all that much more. Right. Right. It's a completed decision. Right. Why don't we leap ahead at uh, uh, private equity firms? Uh, you know, a lot of people want to work there. Uh, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you found the, yeah. the position and then what is the position? Uh, so uh, just real, a real simple definition of private equity as we see it. We are what we call a control-oriented um, control private equity firm, which means that we, we, we go in and, and we'll buy better than 50% of the business. So whoever's selling to us at Corinthian knows that uh, you know, they are going to be in a minority position after the sale is completed. Uh, so that that's one differentiating for us. And you'll also find that private equity firms stratify themselves. Some people will look at are only interested in businesses that are, let's say, less than 50 million in revenue or less than 5 million in earnings. In our case, we look, we're at one level above that. We will look at businesses that are 5 to 15 million in earnings and are upwards of 200 million in revenue. And then there's probably two or three more stratifications, and there so there are some that only look at you know multi-billion-dollar uh, businesses. Okay. Um, so what we do is we raise money from individual and/or um, institutional investors to to invest in businesses to give them a return. And at its at its base, there's only four four elements or four different functions within a private equity firm. You have to find a business. You have to finance, buy and finance a business. You have to operate it, and then you have to sell it. And there are probably three sets of skills in that. The finding, some people, it's a career. Just going out and, and working with 
business brokers, uh, lawyers, accountants, uh, high net worth individuals, individual business owners. You may have gotten a cold call yourself that said, "Hey, I noticed your, you know, trend, you know, your business." And uh, Mr. Steadley, we've looked at your business, and we think that we, you know, would be interested. We have a buyer that might be interested in your right. business. Right. So that would be someone that has a developed someone a developed organization just to find them. Right. Um, so that could be a separate set of skills, and then the the financing buying and the exiting, those would be skills trained in uh, both business school and or banking. So we get okay. our, our first, uh, our entry level positions would be someone that's probably had a couple of years in a, in a bank, either on the credit side, credit, you know, that understands how to evaluate a business or, and maybe even investment banking who's worked with businesses to try to help them sell themselves. And then we'll, we'd like to have at least two years with that experience then they'll come to us and stay anywhere from could stay for a long time but oftentimes we see someone that wants to get two to four more years and then wants to make a decision whether they want to go back to business school or whether they want to make it a you know a career in, in private equity and how about your your penetration so to speak how did you get in did you network your way in yeah uh, a little bit about that okay so first off I so I, I was neither on the business development side or nor was I on the transaction but because of my uh, in, industrial background and the general manager experience I, I came in and wanted to position myself to be an operator within the firm so I'm a became the firm's um, operating partner okay and and I was really I it was really a lot of cold calling firms doing a lot of research I had uh, I would look at the portfolio companies that individual firms owned and uh, did a little matrix that said uh, based on what they owned um, I could there are a couple of areas that I would have a direct fit of experience so because of an example would be I found a firm that had two lighting companies for example I had had the Sylvania the GT experience so I sent them a nice, you know, sent them, called, networked mm -hmm. in to say, hey, I can, this is, I can bring this, you know, you're obviously not doing, probably not doing as well as you'd like. Right. So those were, so some was direct, direct try to map my experience, what they had. And, and, but at the end of the day, it ended up being a mix of research and luck. And I'll, I can explain how that worked. I decided to go to a... Uh, to make an investment and go to a seminar in what was called fundless, being a fundless private equity person, meaning you go find the business and then work with private equity firms to, um, to actually buy it with you. And when I was at that seminar, I actually ran into a person that I had gone to high school with 30 years earlier. His first line to me was, I thought you were a doctor. How are you doing? So we, we obviously weren't in touch at all. I told him what I was trying to do. He had just started a firm the two years earlier with a group, and they needed some consulting work with one of their businesses. So I agreed to that on the theory that I'd rather be in doing a little something than just continue to look. And after six, six months of uh, doing some project work with two of the companies, they only had two companies at the time, two companies, uh, the firm extended me a full-time offer to yeah. be their operating partner. Yeah, there's a couple of things that need probably emphasis there. What you really did was you turned the job search into a project. It, it became just a project. You can, right. And a lot of times that depersonalizes it, and 
you just work the project. Right. Uh, the second point I think worth noting is uh, a person you went to high school, a person that wasn't in your active network, never no. would have got a resume. No. And it goes just to the power of how inclusive you need to be yeah, this when you was, network. Right. This was a you know a seminar. It struck me as a little expensive uh, to go to, but it it I thought there was a higher likelihood I was going to meet people that were at least in the industry uh, there. And and again, it, it, well, it, well, it well alternatively, out. alternatively, you would have been better off going to your high school class reunion uh, four years earlier. But my purpose would have been different. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so everybody needs to go to their reunion. Okay. Uh, or or at least, you know, look back. Your network, you never really know. If, if you've met the person at some point in your right. career, that's, yeah. probably, that's someone that's in your network, whether yeah. you know it or not. Right, and I think that's uh, valuable advice. Uh, how do you like private equity now that you're in it? Is it satisfying? What's the frustration, or, or there isn't a whole lot? So it's it's very interesting. I mean, w w what is most interesting, I was working sequentially in a large company, Siemens, and then uh, even Clean Harvest, but going from one experience to the other. And that being the, the operating partner at the firm, I uh, work with multiple companies at the same time. So we have now eight companies uh, in our portfolio. And uh, in each case, they're in you know different industries with mm. different personalities at different stages of growth. Some are doing well, some aren't, so, aren't doing so well. So there isn't actually, uh, there isn't, there's almost no day that I can pick up, say, the Wall Street Journal and see some relevance to some industry that we're right. in. So it, it's, you know, from a learning perspective, it's, it's uh, terrific. On the one hand, I you know I, I like the position of working uh, almost on the consulting level, right. but we own it, so they almost they, they actually have to pay a little bit more attention than a right. consultant. But and then and some days I, I, I miss actually not sort of uh, being you know running the business you know more on a hands-on level. Right. So it's it's still a, a trade-off if you like to do that, then okay. it's a little trade-off. Uh, I think you had shared before, uh, before the recording, that a number of the companies that uh, are part of your portfolio are family businesses, and also you've had a long time interest in, in you know, advising and coaching families through right. any number of changes. Uh, why don't you elaborate a little bit on how you see the family business, and what makes it different, and uh, what can a person do to help in in their normal operations. Yeah. Uh, well, from a private equity standpoint, 95% of what we have purchased have been family-owned, uh, and either they've been first, second, or third generation family businesses. So it's it. Uh, we oftentimes are dealing with in in the transition from a family business to a what what is for us an investment and what we're going to market and sell as a you know a, an ongoing business that's got a sustainable uh you know management team and and business position uh we often deal with uh you know uh, two brothers three brothers two sisters and uh, you know one brother who are owners yeah. and are now you know trying to exit they may have been several oftentimes there's more than one family member in the business, so we've got to find ways to build strength of the management team, uh, knowing full well that uh, the family itself has just 
probably been enriched so there because they've sold at least 50% of the business and know that they probably don't want to stay in that business forever because they've decided to sell. So we've got the, the working the delicate balance of trying to get all the expertise and migrate those out that want to be migrated out. Typically, the CEO remains in our case. So whether it's a, you know, an original owner or a brother or sister, we're working with that original family CEO until we, until we sell it again. Uh, so we're 90% of the time we're in a position, most of the, we're, 90% we're in a position to have to replace the chief financial officer because there really wasn't a chief financial officer. Right. It was a, you know, an, an accountant or a, even a, you know, it even could be a family member who was keeping the, you know, keeping the books. Right. And that has, has been the case, whether it's a $50 million business or a $150 million business. We, we, we bought one business early on. It was a $150 million business on QuickBooks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so that's, you know, those are, those are, it adds another dimension working with the family dynamics. On the private side, I had one, and it's a succession issue. Worked with a family business outside of uh, Corinthian. I was on on their advisory board. The father early on had given a commitment to his two sons that neither son would work for the other. Now he's in his mid seventies, and his two sons are actually holding him to it. Hmm. So he he is either going to have to be in a position to sell the business because neither of them want to work for each other. Or he's going to have to find a third party where both will want to work for. But can you imagine that role of a new CEO coming into a position where the two owner sons are working, uh, you know, have the two owner sons working for an independent outside person and then have the father who's still the control owner as the right. chairman? Be, that's a that's a bad sandwich. Yeah, and you typically <laughs> wouldn't have that sandwich at GTE, for instance. You know, that's comical that that right. would be the consideration. Right. Two people who don't want to work for each other, uh, putting aside family ties. It right. just right. isn't part of the... the, the and we had uh, evaluated one business. It was a oil field services business. It was the father, the son, the mother, and the sister were all in key roles. And, and and the management team below that was just non, non-existent, really. They hadn't done a lot to build an infrastructure. So, uh, you know, as a firm, um, after going down and spending multiple days with them on, on two occasions, I came back and said, listen, I this is probably a good business, but strategy is decided on Sunday at the dinner table. Yeah. We would be, if something were to go wrong here, we wouldn't, we wouldn't know it until way after the fact. Yeah, and I'm sure some sales haven't been consummated because family businesses tend to procrastinate about letting go, or it's a split vote, right? And you have to navigate all that too. So that's what I see on the on outside of Corinthian on the family business side, on advisory. If family businesses would be well advised to try to get advice long before they're even thinking of selling, right? Which is how does the market look at my business? What would they say the weaknesses are? And even at the end of the day, if you never wanted to sell, there's no harm in learning a little something. Right. And, you know, if I dust off my finance book, the uh, simple SWOT analysis Correct. is, you know, what the strengths, weaknesses, threats, and opportunities. So uh, that's uh, for someone listening who's got a small business, uh, always think about not only how you're going to grow your business, but how you're going to exit. 
because uh, that can happen anytime. Uh, let's talk about uh, the frustrations in that space. You've got uh, a variety of assignments, meaning you don't know what the next phone call is going to hold, and right. you're working. You have some power that's you know given to you because um, in large part these companies are owned uh, by the private equity firm and they're in a, a majority sense but what are the frustrations uh the frustrations probably are, are around you know the again the balance between being an owner you know as the firm but trying to work through and with those that are going to actually do do the work which is uh, in this in most cases again the ceo ceo owner that now is still running the business but doesn't have the financial as much financial incentive as he had the day before in other words he's getting he or she are now getting a uh, a check as yeah. opposed to you know splitting up proceeds so actually at the end of the day we have several situations where the owner has gotten a nice big check for selling the business and now they're on a salary which is much less than they ever got as a, an owner and yet uh, what we want is someone that want that we want someone that it, even with that be completely charged to go in every day and help us right. grow the business so that all of us can sell it again and make some money. Right. So yeah. trying to, I, I I have gotten a distinct sense in in many of the instances that in the first six months of that happening, the owner is thinking to himself, well, I have the bank account. Do I need the asset of reporting to someone that I never reported to before? Right. And they've always been, you know, the boss, and now all of a sudden they're not. Uh, how about your best boss? Who was your best boss? Uh, best boss I had was uh, actually in uh, in GT was a it was a person that uh, was perfectly willing, wanted, stated multiple times what he was looking to do was have he wanted to he wanted to be the best at what he could do with what he was running at the time and as much as he was perceived as a control oriented guy the reality was for those that work for him he wanted to have uh, different people with different skills and he actually had a great way to use everyone's skills so he clearly was the front man but he gave a lot of latitude for his team to try to come up with, uh, you know, ideas and make recommendations. He was the voice of those recommendations. But it was exciting to be able to have an environment where the people around the table came up with a plan, and he he was out uh, hmm. selling the plan and bringing back the kind of the resources and the approvals to get what we needed to get done done. Yeah. Did you adopt some of that style as you went into other environments where it would fit? Yes, I mean, I, to to the extent possible. I, I have mm. no, I have no problem being a leader from behind the scenes. Mm. Okay, that's good. Uh, just a couple more uh, hobbies. So I'm trying to golf. I'm trying to golf. I'm always trying to golf. Yeah, you know, a lot the, of us are the, trying to golf. Yeah. But uh, you know, the best advice I got was take two weeks off and then quit. <laughs> <laughs> just don't go bowling or something like that. So trying to golf—that's uh, that's probably is what's uh, taking up taking taking a little mind share. Right. And then if you had to look back on your career, um, how satisfied are you at this stage of your life with your career on a one to ten scale? Ten being uh, most excellent. Uh, actually, 
you know, it's been an interesting collection up until the the private equity piece. I mean, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't, it's easy to put a story around a resume and make it seem like it was seamless and well-planned. But, you know, there were several cases, I think I mentioned one where the division was shut down, another, the company, you know, Siemens, uh, Sylvania was sold to Siemens, so that caused some, there's a lot of things that aren't in your control. Right. Um, And luck, as I mentioned, with private equity plays a little, but- Mm -hmm. From where I stand today, I'm you know, I'm happy with the collection of things that has okay. been my career, but uh, I'm not done yet. All right. And then uh, for the more junior people who might be listening, uh, any general or specific advice to uh, early stage careerists? Uh, early stage careerists, I would say to just start, because mm-hmm. if you start and do uh, you know well at what you're doing, you'll get recognized. But if you're not going to start until you've got what you think is the ideal thing, then you'll have wasted time learning what the next step could be. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's good advice. Uh, and it also goes to the point that I think a couple other people brought up, that your reputation starts really early in your career. Uh, so you can do things and be good at it, but do a lot of it and get the reputation of a hard worker and and. Uh, you know, you check your work, it's accurate, and, yeah. and, and just some of the basics in the early stage. Matter of fact, it goes throughout your career. Right. So, well, thank you very much, Tony. This has uh, been really nice talking to you. Thank and, you, Fred. And, and Appreciate we, it. And we uh, wish you well in your effort to golf. <laughs> thanks so, you very much. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye now. Perfect.